Carlos Alberto Diego, of course. We've got the lines open, 9429-1116. And it's like somebody is just putting music into the ears of Carlos. <laughs> and I don't want to pigeonhole you here and say that, of course, you're only focusing on the Azzurri. But mm. the first couple of people on the line do want to talk to you about Italy versus Spain. Yes, friend. how are you, Andy? Oh, good, Look, mate. I... I'm bleary-eyed, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm knackered. Uh, it, it's just, you know you're in the middle of a world football contest living in Australia uh, when you're feeling like I do right now. But uh, but it, it was a fantastic, it's been, actually been fantastic since the weekend, actually, from, really, from yeah. the first game. Yep. Even the even the dull Portugal and Croatian game, I, I, I just love those contests. And, Dude, uh, you, that yeah, one, you were, even that yeah, had you, yeah. Yeah. I knew something was going to happen in the end, and you have to wait a long time for it. But uh, but that, that's me, and I, I'll get abused for that, and I'll get criticised for that. But that's that, I just like to watch every kick of every even if, even in with games where I don't have enough uh, sort of any allegiance to any of the teams or anything like that so I'm I'm loving it yeah the I'm, knockout plus the copper america obviously yesterday too well what look let's get through euro first cuz the big story out of copper america is a that chile won again but the big fallout, of course, is Lionel Messi saying, that's it for me. I'm 29 mm. years old. I've, I've done all I can do for the Argentinian national team, and, and that is all she wrote for me and them, which I think probably continues an uncomfortable relationship between Messi and the Argentinian team. But I suspect there's greater reasons for why there might be discontent amongst Argentinian players and the National Federation and all sorts of stuff. Mm. Now, yeah. we'll have a chat about that a, a little bit later. Um, Tony and Daniel want to talk to you about Italy, so I want to hear from you first. We said last week, good luck. If you go 1-0 down, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. And it, here it came to play again. 1-0 down. Spain had a couple of half chances. Uh, what's his name? What about the 88th minute? PK had a look. And he yeah. you know, he might say, I oh, should have done a bit better, even though it was pretty quick, the ball in and under. But... They never look like losing that game. They, no. the attempt, once they got one, it was just shut the gate. Yeah, I think it's just confirmation that, that Spain is a team in decline. After winning three major, you know, the three major yeah. tournaments in the last, you know, three cycles, I mean, the two European championships plus a World Cup, they were poor at the last World Cup, as, as we know, and they were chased out of town. We thought they might have been a bit better in this t- competition. In the group stage, they showed a bit uh, and some of the class that they had. And Murata looked like he was going to be the, the new the new king of Spanish football up, up the front. And he will be one day. He's only a young striker. He's taken, uh, he was but, taken off in the game. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that's right. And that's because he was monstered yeah, by the monsters of the <laughs> Italian defenders. I mean, Cellini, Bonucci, the my, man uh, scored, my man scored, of course. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's, he's, I had a look at his age because I know he's been around for a while. He's only 31. He looks about 45. <laughs> he does. But... Uh, as some of the commentators suggested today, uh, they just monstered uh, Spain. It wasn't only technique and tactics. It was they just ran them over with physical presence and the aggression of the Italians. This team, this Italian team, and I'm not, it's, it's not going to be a big statement, but this Italian team has got as many ingredients and elements to their game uh, and, to their, and to the way they go about it that any Italian team that's won a tournament, I believe. Uh, you Why know, do you say that? Oh, they've got the, the power and the aggression. They've got the team spirit, which is really, really important. It comes to the, the coach is unbelievable. They love it's Antonio Conte. They, he is, they, they kneel at his altar, these players, yeah. and that's half the battle with the Italians. If you make them happy within the camp, uh, they don't care about the media that might be bagging them. They don't care about the, the, you know, the underdog status that they might come in or the criticism they had during the, the bubble. Quali- yeah, if, they, if you, the coach can blend them together... And uh, really see get them all the same uh, wavelength. Uh, suddenly, you see what's happening at the moment. They've got goals in them, yep. and they play for each other. 
tactically they're very, very good and very disciplined and they're playing for Antonio Conte. So for me, uh, they're really dangerous. If anyone's going to give Germany a shake for this... And what a quarterfinal this is well, going to be! Pity. Really, it's actually a pity that it's a quarterfinal. Uh, sometimes I, sometimes I think those two in a final, you won't get the uh, the event. You know the, but we'll get the event. In, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- there'll be bloodshed. <laughs> there'll be controversy. There'll be the passion of the the Italians. There'll be German arrogance. Yeah, and it's in the quarterfinal. This is a game to watch. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to watch one game, this is the game to watch. And uh, both teams primed to meet each other, playing their football the best they can be at the moment. Bordeaux next Saturday. So, well, do you know, I haven't got the time, the local times in front of me. Is it, will it be Saturday night or Sunday morning our time? Yeah, I, be I, Sunday, probably I, Sunday don't, yeah I don't have it with me, but, uh, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's the one to watch, that so, one there. Which will be absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Um, the, the stories that were being written about this Italian team before Euro 2016, worst Italian team ever, blah, blah, blah. Is that, are they, are those who are saying all that stuff, are they starting to nervously rewrite and retract or are they holding fire knowing that maybe Germany will knock them out? And once we get knocked out in the quarterfinal stage, then that probably legitimises the fact that, you know, the critics who were laying the boots yep. in or before the tournament, despite what they've done so far, the, the critics before the tournament say, well, I only made the quarterfinal, so that's nothing to hang your hat on. But it's easy to be. I mean, the Italian media, media are brutal. You ask Jose Mourinho. I mean, he didn't have a, a very much of a love affair with them at all. And, uh, and we've seen at different tournaments when they've been poor, they're doing slaughtered by the Italian media. and uh, But they're very much respected. I mean, the Italian media in, in Italy are actually known as uh, a group of people who actually know their football. Yeah. So even if they haven't played the game at the highest level, uh, they're quite respected. Uh, and so the players really take it to heart and the fans really read and absorb what they say. Uh. So, um, yeah, that was all written. But I, th- I would think now, I haven't read any of the Italian media, but I would think now that they're, even from the first game, they would have seen that this team is a different proposition, yeah, and they've, yeah, yeah, and they've yeah. seen they've seen Italian teams before come into tournaments. In fact, play very poorly in the group stages and just get through the knockout stages through the skin of their teeth, and then go on and win something. So I think we've had that history to never ever write off in the Italian side. But <laughs> we actually saw it from the first game this time. That's yeah. why I'm thinking they're a machine. Yeah, and they, like they got they've got all the elements that have won the tournaments before, and and. The only thing that's in their way is Germany at the moment, I reckon. <laughs> well, that's the next yeah. cab off the rank. Uh, 5 a.m. Sunday morning, says Robin Templestow off the SMS machine. Is it true, says Lenny, Germany have never beaten Italy in a major tournament? Is that true? I'm just trying to think. Yeah, that's, that's a curveball for you, right? Yeah, now. 82. Well, of course, Italy beat them in the World Cup. Uh, major tournament. So that's a good question. If anyone knows the yeah, answer to good that, question. has Germany ever beaten it? Says Lenny, that's never happened. Um, all games remaining are at 5 a.m. Our time yep. says Matt. So there you go. All games 5 o'clock, which is good. That's an easier time slot. Tony's in Narry Warren. Uh, wants to have a chat about the Italians. Good afternoon to you, mate. Good afternoon, guys. How are we? Good, thank good, you. Good, mate. That's the way. Um, yeah, uh, just wondering, like, Antonio Conte's really, like, um, basically got the guys playing together as a team. Like, on paper, I would have thought at the start, you know, there's a couple of names here and there, but... But he's just, like, got this team gelled together. And obviously, like, you can see at the end of the game how they all ran up to the goals and Buffon jumped on the goal <laughs> goal net. You can just see that, that they just want to play for each other. Yeah, that, and that's the secret, really, with the Italians. You, make, you, you get them happy. Um, it, and you almost, uh, if, you, if they embrace the siege mentality also, that's the other thing. Uh, we saw, all the way back from when I was a, a, a younger kid watching uh, the World Cup, I mentioned 1982, mm. uh, in, the, in the group stages, they were awful. 
and they just got through. Enzo Bizot, the, the, the manager at the time, uh, was a bloke who was an older guy, almost like a Vincent Del Bosque, you know, from, from Spain. Yeah, yeah, and, yep. and he was ridiculed by the media. And, and, uh, but they just all came together, some of the, some of the best players, you know, Dino, led by Dino's off their oh, goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. And some of the, uh, you know, Tardelli and uh, Paolo Rossi, who, who yeah. scored goals against Brazil to get him further in the competition. They just turned it around, but they, they did it. Uh, almost in spite of the, uh, you know, to, to spite the uh, the Italian media yeah, at the right. time. Yep. Um, so they use that as a, they as do. a galvanizing, uh, galvanizing force. They love yeah. they love the backs against the wall type yep, stuff. Yep, yep. And you know when we get on to talk about Chile and Argentina, the South Americans are the epitome of that. You know, make it difficult for me, and I, I even become more my resolve even in, increases further. Yeah, right. And that's what the Italians are like too. Well, they've been phenomenal so far and the quarterfinal is going to be one to savour, no doubt about that. Daniel's on the road, also wants to have a chat about the Italians. Good afternoon, mate. Okay, guys. Um, going back to that stat, yeah, you're right. Italy um, has never been defeated by Germany in any sort of major competition, World Cup, Euros, etc., etc. And I think international friendlies aside, but um, Conte is a masterclass. I can't believe how people have been saying this is the worst Italian team, you know, ever. How can you how can you put Buffon in goal as in that category? I mean, look, he's an absolute legend. He's the best goalkeeper in the world by far. I mean, I, I couldn't understand how people could, you know, write such nonsense and crap about these Italian sides. You but, never underestimate Italians, especially when they've got a, such a solid defence and a solid background. I don't know, Daniel. I think being in Italy, being in Australia, and growing up and watching this, and we sort of we're almost watching it from afar. You know, we can't call ourselves experts, but we just watch it from afar and we go by what the media says over there. And the script almost repeats itself every major tournament. The Italian team, they're hopeless, they're not good, they had a bad qualification series, there's this wrong, that wrong, the manager's not good, uh, this guy's hopeless, I don't know why he gets picked, and they go in, they might have one or two bad results, yeah, we were right, then they'll go on and do okay. When they go in uh, with uh, a lot of tickets about them, suddenly they do what they did in 2014 in the World Cup and they were hopeless. Uh, you know, the Germans are the same, the English, well, when you get talking oh, about talk the English, my God, I mean, yeah. it's Groundhog Day all the time, so I think we look at it as if to say, why are they saying that? I mean, they weren't that bad in qualifying. They qualified for heaven's sake to a Euro tournament yeah. and they've started off well. Uh, I think we could be more balanced over here because we're not invested as much as they are over there. They live and breathe every moment. The writers, the journos, the fans, uh, everyone's hanging off certain journos. Is journal- it also part of the, like the Italians love a tragedy. Yeah, they they love a drama. Yeah. Is there a bit of that, that you know, the, the operatic nature of the, you know, the dagger through the heart and the big you know, death scene and all that. That yeah. sort of seems to go hand in hand with the kind of the beautiful, natural kind of Italian. This is a very big generalisation, yeah. I admit, yeah. but but personality. You know, well, it's the whole idea that things are going well. You never ever sit back and and uh, <laughs> no. you know things are going death. really well here. Something's going to go wrong death. soon. Death, that is, sort ju- of, death yeah. is just around the corner. It's, and I think this whole yeah, it's the, uh, the, the the what do you call it? The it's almost like fatalistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just because things are going well now, <laughs> something will go wrong around the corner. And uh, uh, at the moment, they're probably not talking themselves up too much at the moment, the Italians, because they're expecting something that might go wrong down the, down the track. Yeah, Carlos Alberto Diego for the Bayland Group. All I sell your property direct to the developer, call 1-800-BAYLAND. You mentioned England, and we have to get on to this performance. Um, 
I'll, I'll lead you in because I know where you want to go because we <laughs> talked about this off here. If you haven't seen the Steve McLaren and the world's seen it, most of them are not, but I can't believe you haven't seen it yet. You need to seek the Steve McLaren vision. Steve McLaren, former English manager, was doing um, their game day or whatever they call it over there. So they don't have rights to the yep. vision, but they have a television show watching people, watching the game, talking about it while it's going on. And there's Steve McLaren at one all going, yep, we've got this. Uh, they're gone. Yeah, They've got no dangerous players. We're killing them down the left. Uh, just keep on going with what we're doing. We're going to put the sword to these blokes. Yeah, but that's we're, in the first 10 minutes he's it, saying it, all this. It's, yeah. it's, it's one yeah. all at this yeah. stage. So uh, we've kicked into gear. Everything's going beautiful. Beautifully. We're starting to really make down road, inroads down the left side. Um, you know, we're going to get down there with the speed of blah, blah, and him and whatever. Oh, my God. He just stops <laughs> and he goes, oh, my God. Iceland just scored their second goal <laughs> as he's telling us how England's going to run away and win this one 4-1. It was the most magnificent piece of vision. Yep. about Talking about blokes getting ahead of themselves. And in a week where the world's looking at England and going, what are you doing? Yep. What are you doing, England, this the timing of this could not have been more perfect. The question I ask all football supporters out there, what right has England got to think that they're a good team? Right. That they're going to do anything in the tournament? <laughs> what right have they got? Time and time again. They won the World Cup in yeah. 1966. <laughs> they actually uh, they made a semi-final of a World Cup in 1990 uh, and lost on penalties to Germany, I believe. Yep. Uh, and they made the semi-finals of the Euro 96 in England. Right. Uh, other than that, they've been horribly disappointing. I mean, every tournament, uh, they get chased out of town by the English media. Players don't want to show their faces for months afterwards because they get slaughtered uh, by the fans and the media. Uh, the way the commentators went about, I mean, the, the classic was if you watch the Bean Sport. Um, you know, coverage today, which by the way has been absolutely it, magnificent. fantastic. It's, it's so but we cool. had commentators on before that saying, almost joking about Iceland. Uh, if they get a corner, they might celebrate in this game. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking myself. Uh, sorry, I, I know nothing about the game in comparison to these guys, but surely you know that this Iceland team have been very, very hard to beat in this tournament. Number one, mm. uh, they're spirited. Their fans add another two players onto the onto the you know the team sheet yeah, basically, yeah, yep. and they beat Holland home and away in the qualifying series. They finished second in their qualifying group. This is a decent professional team who are up and about, <laughs> and uh, and these English support these English commentators like they hadn't don't even know where what Iceland had done in this tournament, let alone what they'd done beforehand. So uh, Lars Lagerbeck, their their manager, has never lost to England in six goes. They, he hasn't lost a game to England ever. And Roy Hodgson is petrified of this guy because he knows how good he is. So how could they possibly be overconfident going into this game? And uh, the script was written way ago. And so what right have England ever got? And, of course, the, the media love it because if they win, well, they can celebrate with a team, and that's rare. Yeah. But when they lose, they can cut them down and wreck careers. And uh, I mean, the, 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 what was really poignant, poignant for me was I had Andy Cole on as a commentator earlier in the tournament talking about it, what it was like playing for England. Yeah. And he goes, most players who play for England are, are fearful when they put that shirt on. Really? Because they're so – they play with fear because yeah, yeah. whenever – they lose, they get slaughtered to the to the inch of their life. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much money they make, what club football, they're stained with this forevermore. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's how difficult it is. Um, the, when will they just 
forget about rating their team until they actually achieve something. <laughs> it would be nice to do. It's generally one should come before the other. Mm. Simon's in Berwick, and right off the top, wanted to have a chat about this game, and I appreciate your patience, Simon. No worries. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I've just obviously been enjoying Iceland's success as well, and I, I just, well, I guess the, the term for England is a train wreck, and uh, I was just going to suggest, or maybe I think the Icelandic government have already looked at renaming the capital to uh, wreck your victory. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they did that. What it took Roy Hodgson about half an hour after the defeat to put out a two-paragraph statement saying that's it, she's done. I'm yeah. over. I can't continue in the position. I so, think he, he he preferred to resign rather than take questions about the performance. Yeah. Well, you know, it gives them nowhere to go. Yeah. You don't. You can't stand there and defend what you know. Those back home are going to claim is the indefensible. You can't do it. Yeah. You know what the Fleet Street press you know what they're going to be like you know what the news limited press is going to be like over there they are going to have an absolute field day as you've point rightly pointed out that's what they do uh, it is going to be brutal out of but and, and out of all of their inabilities to achieve anything this is kind of the timing of brexit and mm. the way the world is basically commentated about that uh, and then this off the back of it, and we had um, we had Simi Velgerson, uh, the chairman of the Icelandic Australian Association, on at the time. He was uh, he was he was telling us what the Icelandic commentator was saying. He was basically saying, "You can't believe it! I can't believe it! We've won! We've won! We don't care whether you're part of Europe, England. Mm. Off you go home, <laughs> go home, England. You're not part of." Like, he yeah. was actually infusing. Yeah. The greatest moment mm. is in Icelandic sport, mm. just about, yeah. uh, with a bit of political commentary, but also within. You know, the country of England, the it's an indictment on those players who are looked upon as the untouchable, who will never, you know, the multi-millionaires yeah, yeah, who yeah. don't, who live in their own little bubble. I mean, Graeme Soonis today, uh, if you had listened to his uh, his um, analysis. Uh, analysis of what he thinks is wrong, he dug deeper than just the performance in Roy Hodgson. He talked about the attitudes of these young men now who become multi-millionaires at 18, 19. Uh, they get protected. They take no responsibility. It's really hard to manage these guys because they listen to their agents and other advisors before they listen to their manager. So these days, um, you know, these players run the show. And the the idea of an older guy like, you know, I call him Uncle Roy, Uncle yeah, Roy yeah, Hodgson, yep. Uncle Roy telling me how I should play on the world stage. Well, what do you know? When things are going well, I'll give him a pat, but basically I'm not going to listen to him. So that's what they're dealing with these days. And I think Graham Soon was probably a bit scarred because he obviously managed at Newcastle, Glasgow Rangers, and he dealt with a lot of these multi-millionaire guys coming through. Yep. And it's very, very difficult to do that. And it's and the English people, the, the public, uh, resent these players because of that reason too. Uh, well, they've got every yeah. right to now because mm. they're not representing. Mm. They're not representing the people uh, the way they necessarily believe they should be um, represented. Uh, apparently, we have to get a break out of the way. Sure. I'm not sure whether you can see that. <laughs> the English before we move on. Uh, good afternoon to you, mate. Uh, good, morning. Oh, sorry, good afternoon, fellas. Yeah, look, I think I think England's problem has always been that they're, they're full of stars, but obviously they can't gel together. And I think. If you think about it, Richmond are like, uh, sorry, England are like Richmond. They talk themselves <laughs> up and they deliver diddly squats. How, how, on the stars thing, Carlos, how, how big a star, how, how good are they on the, I think we, and the English rate themselves because the English Premier League is, you know, the, all the metrics about the number of people who what and the teams and, you know, we, it's, it's, the, it's yeah. the, the competition, right? We watch it because it's a global. It's a global competition now. The English players aren't necessarily the stars that you go to watch the Premier League for. 
How many of these English players are actually, by world standards, stars? Well, it's interesting... You know, we're only guessing. Of course, we're so far away. We only guess about the quality and what we see on TV. But uh, listening to one of the commentators this morning, I think it was even Graham Souness, he turned around and said, for him, a world-class player. I know we've had this debate yeah, with yeah, listeners yep, before. Yep, yep, a world-class yep. player is a player who can play in any team in the world, but in all the top teams, right? And he said, so there's only 11 world-class players. According to him, right, which okay. it was a, it's, a, it's a tough definition. It's a very tough definition. But that's what he thinks. Yeah, okay. And he turned around and he said, Iniesta for Spain, yep, can play any team in the world. Uh, Buffon, play any team in the world. Which English player could play in any team in the world? And so when he said that with such a tough definition, mm. uh, if you accept his definition, well, they're not good enough. They're just not good enough. Yeah. And when there was a suggestion that where's, the ne- where's, where's an Iniesta going to come out of English football – a lot of, you know, Andy Gray and the other British commentators just laugh because they know it just will never happen. If it will never happen, how are you going to win a World Cup? Because of the way they play football in the lower leagues in England and what the way you've got to play to get to. Well, they were suggesting, you know, all the way down to the six and seven, seven-year-olds. But I've heard this debate over and over. You know, they don't have that long-term plan because, the, the you know, the, the goose, it's, you know, the golden egg is the yeah. EPL. Yeah. That's what gets it, gives everyone money. And so... Who really cares about international okay. football when it's all so hard? Okay, overlay that on what's happened here in the last sort of 24 hours with Joseph Gombau's appointment to yep. the coaching position uh, of the Ollie, the under-20, the, the Ollie Roos. Um, give me your thoughts on that, in, yeah. particularly in relation to the conversation we're just having about the English. Yeah, I, I love jo- Joseph Gombau, yep. and I think he's got a lot to, to, to teach and coach our coaches about. Yep. And I think he did a lot of that great work in Adelaide too. Uh, but why isn't there an Australian coach with his hand up for the Oli Roo job? The Oli Roo job and the underage team job is no longer going to have a, a whole stack of resources thrown at it because of we've failed in past campaigns. It's all too hard. A-League clubs don't want to release their players. There's angst there between them and the FFA. So why isn't this, given that the focus is not going to be as, as much as it has been in the past, why is this a training ground for an elite young coach with a future in Australia. Now, I'm not saying we don't hire foreigners. If that's the best person, sure. But why don't we have someone with their hand up? And it's funny because I had a conversation about this on Twitter on yeah, the weekend. Oh, yep, yep. And, you know, the, the person I was, uh, you know, discussing it with uh, turned around and said, well, who do you suggest? And I couldn't think of anyone. All right, 433 or, or a quick call. Nine. If there's a name, that an, a local name, that automatically would be suited to that job. And this is no... We're, we're not criticising the appointment of Gombau at all here, right? This is no... no. That is that is stated and that is on the record. But if but it does feel like it would be a great breeding ground, not only for the next wave of Australian players, but for potentially the next national coach. Especially if the, the focus is not going to be on winning and losing. Yeah. I think the whole international thing would be a good thing. Uh, by the way, when I had that Twitter conversation, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Rudin... Who's coaching? He's coaching a young coach, uh, coaching Sydney United in the MPL in Sydney. He retweeted one of my tweets suggesting so what? what I, I think the suggestion was, hey, I've got my hand up, guys. Yeah, no one's talked to me about yeah, it. So, yeah. And he may be, I mean, he's well regarded. He may be the sort of bloke that would fill that bill. Um uh, I was going to ask you another question, but it slipped out of me here because I, the other local thing that I wanted to talk to you about was the guest player clause. Yeah. Um, what does this What does this mean? What's yeah, your understanding of it? They've just I haven't read the the detail of it, but I believe 
there's a guest player clause now that allows a club to have a, a guest player for a whole year. But and a, some, this guest player would be fun. Not a marquee player. Not not no, it's no. very different from the marquee. Marquee player, I know there's, there's some criteria around it, but it's not as stringent as the guest player uh, clause. The guest player clause, mean, uh, it's got to be a player that can actually add marketing dollars and value to the competition at a high, high level. Uh, there's stringent criteria as far as the marketability. The FFA will tip in some money for this also. Right. So we're talking about the David Villa type of player, but here for not four games in the, of a 10-game stint, yep. but a whole year. Yep. So it is almost a turbocharged marquee. Do you like it? I like it. I like it. Any, 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 any um, initiative that can bring in real quality players that, catches the attention of the media yep, yep. and of football fans that might not be, and there's a lot of them, who aren't following the A-League, uh, and get them the games because of the, the player and the fact that this player will do something special in a game, I think that's good for the game. Have you spoken or heard any, say, of the young Sydney players, Sydney FC players, talk about um, how beneficial it was for them in their development mm. of the game to have such access to Alessandro Del Piero? Has that yep. been a knock-on effect of him being at that club for as long as he was? I think of all the benefit that we got as a sport while Del Piero was here, because I don't think Sydney were in a position to really get real legacy. I don't think they really took advantage of as a club, yep. but certainly as players who train with him every day, from the all-star players that played with him in the all-star competition, from the players who played against him, yep. uh, what they would have learnt just by watching him. It's like watching Bruno Fornaroli. It's not the same, you know, status of a player, but watching and playing against someone like a Fornaroli has got to accelerate your development. And I think that's great for the young players and any player really in our competition. A whole lot of names off the SMS machine. Johnny Johnny A, Johnny Anastasiadis, yeah, well, it, Jason Kalina, yep. Craig Moore, Brett Eminen, Arthur Pappas, Ivan Jolich. I don't know those last yep. two. Are they all the right sort of names? They're in the same ballpark as Mark Rudin. Okay. Max is in St Kilda, Carlos. He's got a nomination for us for the Oli Roos coaching position, which he's filled, of course. Uh, who do you want to nominate, Max? Well, I thought Harry Kill would be someone who would fit that because, I mean, he's doing underage coaching now in England. So, Yeah, look, uh, that's not a bad idea there, Max, but I just think the coach has to be someone who's coached men before. Um it's I, I'm you know I know he's under, I know they're under twenty three but these guys are under twenty three for me they're men and if you're I think Harry at the moment is coaching under twenty ones at Watford and from all reports he's doing okay I mean he's learning he's learning the trade he never it it's not like he was a lifelong co- no, he had a lifelong of, yeah. sort of uh, ambition to coach either Harry sort of it's only been the last couple of years he does run his little clinics I just want him to go away and just coach men somewhere. And yeah. just see how he goes there. That's sort of for some reason the the idea of Harry Kill coaching just doesn't. I never would have thought that that would necessarily have been the trade that he wanted to yeah. you know, invest himself in after he'd finished playing. He just doesn't. He never never gave no, us that he would be. I mean, Tony Popovich always gave us the idea he could coach, yeah. uh, even when he was playing. Yeah. And it's actually surprised a lot of his teammates, Harry Kill, too, that he's gone into coaching. They never thought that yeah. he would be that sort of uh, person. Righto. Let me ask you about Lionel Messi. Got four and a half, four minutes and a bit here. Retires from the Argentinian national team. He's been a super player, mm. but they've won nothing. He's, he's scored 55 goals in 113 appearances for Argentina. That's an unbelievable record, but they've won nothing. Yep. 
29 years of age, a lot of football left in him. Uh, surely he would want to go and play in the World Cup in two years' time. But no, that's it for him. Finished, done and dusted. Yep. Gazy asked the question yesterday, and I want to ask you, does this, and you mentioned the word legacy before, does this affect the Lionel Messi legacy? Yeah, I think it does. In 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 relate not not as a footballer, he'll be, he'll go no, down. No, no, he'll no. go down as you know top five footballers yep. in the history of the world. Yep. Right. Uh, but in the argument between a Diego Maradona and the Lionel Messi argument, who was better? I think what it does bring in the fact that um, you know Diego Maradona relished. He just loved. He he sucked it up being captain of Argentina. Um, you know the way he he sort of dragged him kicking and string of World Cup wins and and other fantastic performances to yep. World Cups when the team wasn't that good. Uh, and I'm not sure whether Lionel Messi may have been sick of that comparison. There are stories, of course, that the players and the federation, the Argentinian federation, don't get along, and there's a lot of lack of respect there. And and you know someone like a Messi just saying, well, you know, just forget about that. I'll go and play enough. for Barcelona yep. and yep. you know kick my fifty goals a year. Uh, I think he'll be back, to tell you the truth. He's too young. I think uh, the clamour for him to come back, uh, for him to, re- to retire so quickly after the game, I think these players would know that that's probably, you know, something that... Heat of the moment. Heat of the moment yeah, sort yep, of stuff. Yep. When you think about it later, they generally don't say anything and then they'll retire down the track. Yep. So I think it might be part of that. Something's happened for him. The disappointment of missing a penalty. Yep. I mean, the guy's human. Yeah, yeah. For heaven's sake, I mean... It was a bad penalty. Yeah, yeah. It and, was a real big miss. And people don't... People also... When that happens to you, to a player you regard as God in your team mm. and he's the first one that takes the kick and he misses, uh, what does that do to the rest of them? yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, of you know, course. You know, so yeah. if, he, if God's missed it, yep. you know, so it, that that's a problem with him taking the first one. Is that the truth? But um, <laughs> yeah, I, the 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 argument about him and Maradona is a huge argument in world football, and by him retiring, if he doesn't come back now, I think uh, that missing piece where he could finally. You know, take the mantle of being the best ever. Yeah, um, it might just be too big for him. You know, yeah, it might be too big for him. It, I mean, it Matt, seems like it's uncomfortable yeah. for him. It's just, it's, I mean, if you saw photos and stills of him against um, Chile in that game, sometimes there were five players trying to kick him at yep. the same time, yeah. and with no Argentinian player in sight, it was just him and five Chileans trying to kick the living daylights out of him. <laughs> I mean, that's what he would get oh. in this South American competition every time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I hope. Uh, look, I, I think he'll come back to tell the truth. I think he'll still play. He's got way too much foot. Uh, yeah. Surely, whatever Argentina need to do to get him back in that beautiful, beautiful outfit of theirs, they need, <laughs> they need to get him back into that strip. Uh, there's, there'll be a lot to talk about with you same time next week. Thanks, we'll mate. We'll do it so. then.